0: That is definitely the best news in a long time.
1: Yeah. Dick Costello has a good tweet. Roll tide. Roll tide. (laughs) Welcome to episode fifty-one of Acquired, the podcast about technology acquisitions and IPOs. I'm Ben Gilbert. I'm David Rosenthal. And we are your hosts. We are coming to you from mid-December in a second annual acquired holiday tradition, the holiday special. David, are you excited? I'm so excited.
0: I'm I'm jealous because Ben has a glass of rose and I am in the office and we don't yet have any wine or beer here. So I'm I'm I'm
1: toasting you uh in spirit. <laughs> <laughs> We'll uh, we'll have to do that in person at uh, at our our meetup, and we will uh, we'll we'll talk about that in a in a moment. Before we do that, I want to say a, a quick thank you to our sponsor. Our sponsor for this episode is Perkins Coie, the counsel to great companies. Today's sponsorship is with Jason Day, the firm wide chair of Perkins Public Company Practice. Jason, in companies that you've worked with that are deciding between getting acquired and going public. How early does this decision start, and how does it change how the company operates?
0: I'd say the preparation for an IPO um, starts one to two years out, and, and that preparation and planning and decision-making really overlaps a lot with the M&A process. A lot of it can be you know, addressing legal matters and organizing due diligence, so really starting the dual-track process. And Companies approaching an IPO tend to operate more formally on the finance and accounting side. They think more about gap accounting consequences of their actions. They tend to start you know, buttoning up the legal matters. They, they staff up with seasoned public company officers and directors, and they think more about transparency and how shareholders review things, which can impact the culture and the operations of the company.
1: Thanks, Jason, and thanks to Perkins Cooey. If you want to learn more about Perkins Cooey or reach Jason specifically, you can click the link in the show notes or in the Slack. If you're new to the show, we've got a Slack that you can join at acquired.fm. We're over a thousand strong and, uh, you know, good place to... uh, talk about tech m&a recent news that happened and more importantly we actually have more dm activity than there is uh um chatter in the the main feed so um cool to see the connectivity among you listeners uh who are uh, getting to know each other better by being listeners the show yeah we're
0: almost at uh we're almost at 1100 now our growth is accelerating we're going exponential
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's cool my data's old i gotta look well, speaking of listeners getting to know each other better, we mentioned it on the last show and we got to we got to drive the point home. We're going to be in San Francisco. David's already down there. I'll be flying down Thursday, January 18th. Mark your calendars. It'll be in the evening. Um, we are still figuring out uh, out venue, but uh, we're, we're super excited to um, hang with our listeners for a few hours and our densest concentration of listeners is in the Bay area. Uh, New York and Seattle are, are up there too. But, um, the, the Bay area has certainly been growing the fastest and, uh, and excited to always good to spend time down there. So, um, yeah. And special
0: shout out and thank you to Preet, a uh, longtime listener who has been helping organize, uh, and pull this together. So thank you. And, uh, this
1: is, we can't wait to see y'all not only to organize, but to really, uh, um, spark the whole thing. I think this is the thing David and I keep talking about haven't done and pre thanks for, um, inspiring us to do it. And that is PR three, three T. Uh, if you're looking in the acquired in the slack, slack. <laughs> um, all right, David, what else we've got, a, we've got an announcement for, uh, for next year. We do, we do. We
0: are, uh, going to be evolving the format a little bit in 2018. Big things happening in Acquired. We're gonna have to put the uh, the old format back in the Acquired Museum
1: that we talked about. That's on right. The last show. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's scheduled for construction sometime in. Uh, I, I haven't gotten a date yet from the crew. But <laughs> <laughs> sometime in the next decade. Don't worry
0: though. We're not we're not making uh, major changes to the show, but we are gonna move to a season format. Uh, we thought after fifty now fifty one episodes, uh, it would be better to uh to block this into a, a traditional podcast season format and that's gonna let us do a few things which we're excited about
1: yeah we're, we're most excited because it basically gives us a, a um, framework to try new things so if we want to do something kind of radical at the very longest it can last one season um, of course we still can change things on on the fly but um can can add or remove sections or change the format for uh for seasons at a time and those seasons will be um six months uh, approximately 10 episodes and one of the things we're we're most excited about is to do miniseries. So we've been doing it kind of informally with things like the Disney Saga and and talking a lot about, um uh, basically different episodes that string together and tell a single narrative. Um, David and I have been thinking a lot about, well, what, what are trends that we really want to cover and what are things that we really want to be thoughtful about and learn more on our own and have an impetus to do kind of a wider body of research before doing the episodes. And so I think you can probably expect one mini series um, as a part of, uh, of the season early next year of this season. And, uh, and if it
0: works well, hopefully each season going forward. So we're thinking this will be probably, probably around three episodes out of the 10. Uh, so seven, you know, normal standard acquired episodes and, uh, and three for, a for a mini series that we're going to change up in
1: each season if it works well. That's right. And the most important thing is the name, which we are hyper creatively calling season X. No, it's, it's going to be season two.
0: (laughs) Season 10. We're skipping seasons. We're actually releasing
1: season two and season 10 simultaneously. Uh, 10 is actually marked by a Y. Um, but you'll get it. It makes sense. We put a lot of time into this. Uh,
0: (laughs) Ben, this is your cheesy joke for the episode. (laughs) This is what happens when Ben drinks for his day.
1: That's right. That's right. Or should I? Yeah. Um, I thought about earlier making the joke that our, uh, meetup was going to be down in um, acquired hq2 in san francisco <laughs> perfect I, perfect i guess well, I that did.
0: will definitely be a uh, uh a prediction for 2018 oh, later yeah. in the show yeah. where is hq2 oh i've I actually like, where's Waldo? this
1: isn't in my notes but like i do have strong conviction around a prediction for that
0: oh all right well save it for I'll, 2018
1: um, i I'm, I'm adding it to the doc now all right david okay Anything else before we dive into the twenty seventeen year in review?
0: No, let's do it.
1: All right, so listeners, in twenty seventeen we recorded twenty one episodes. This being our twenty second, and David and I have uh, have gone through and uh, and handpicked each of our favorite. So, David, why don't you go first? What was your your yeah. favorite episode? So,
0: uh, well, I'm going to start with my runners up for. I've got two runners That's up cheating. for. <laughs> uh you know it's like i love to give multiple grades you know i just can't i have trouble we try and have a format i know (laughs) uh okay well real quick my runners up are the snap ipo and square ipos both great shows near and dear to my heart but my winner i cannot not pick our last episode beats that was just too much fun i mean anytime you're talking about you know Jimmy Iovine, who's probably the coolest person alive, and Dr. Dre in the same building, starting a company on the beach, getting acquired by Apple, largest acquisition ever. It just doesn't get any better than that.
1: No, no. Somebody's been watching the documentary.
0: <laughs> so good.
1: Yeah. we if, if if to come on that later. Listeners, the Defiant Ones, the HBO documentary was freaking awesome. Like, if you like the episode, even if you don't, if you like, like rap or entrepreneurship or scrappy founder stories or reflections on pop culture in the last 50 years, like you, you got to go watch the defiant ones. So good. Yeah. My favorite was one of your runners up, uh, the square IPO. I felt like that was one where, um, you know, sometimes on this show we're all over the place and sometimes we've occasionally we have really good structured thinking. And I thought in that one, we <laughs> not just, on this episode, no. uh, I thought in that one, we, um, I will stand by the conclusion we made on that one forever. And I felt like all of our reasoning to get there was really well founded. I love the fact that, um, we really got into like why the narrative was the way that it was about the company when it IPO'd and basically poked all the holes in it. Um, And that it's a really sound company with solid fundamentals today that continues to do what it was doing when it was a private company and everyone just looked at it wrong. And so um, yeah, pumped about the company square and pumped about, uh, uh, about that episode. I stand by my grade on that one unlike the YouTube episode where we gave a C and every time I see some new article about YouTube I'm like we really we really have to redo that episode. Yeah,
0: we really should. Maybe that would be a fun thing to do in in season 2 or or maybe season 3 is revisit, you know. That could be a mini series at some point revisiting we should revisit Instagram, we should revisit YouTube.
1: Yeah. Um, Especially when we were wrong, like where, where where we were wrong and why.
0: Yeah. I'm not on the surface, without doing the research yet, I'm not a hundred percent convinced we were wrong on YouTube. Will we give it a C?:
1: Yeah, and it was largely around opportunity cost and basically spending a whole bunch of time and money on what we kind of called a distraction for the break even business of youtube, but i'm I'm way more bought in on what it does for the rest of Google um, and the Google ecosystem yeah. than I was before.
0: I mean it's an incredible product. I'm going to talk more about it on this show, but uh, it's also still not clear that it makes money, right?
1: Uh, I haven't, haven't like actually looked in a while. Yeah. But I, th- I think that's about right. Yeah. You know, David, you're an early stage VC. You don't necessarily invest in things that make money. So, you know, <laughs> what, do you, what do you care? <laughs> uh, that's a low blow, but low blow. <laughs> Speaking of which, you want to move into our, our personal 2017s? Yeah. Yeah. We thought we'd add uh, this section of the
0: show this year. Um, especially, you know, given we're doing our, our holiday episode here and we talk a lot about, Topical things on the show and companies and stories, but uh, we don't talk that much about ourselves. Um,
1: yeah, and I, th- uh, I thought that was like the right thing to do, uh, but we've gotten a lot of feedback from listeners, um, people in person, and people from who messaging on the, us on the Slack, saying like, "You guys mentioned early what you did. Um, you know, you, like you can look us up on LinkedIn or whatever, but that we don't actually ever talk about our day to so day." Yeah, that's kind and of
0: it's so funny. Like as Acquired's gotten bigger, I mean. At a certain point, I think it was maybe kind of the beginning of this year, like, or maybe end of last year, like we passed a threshold where like way, I don't know about you, Ben, but like way more people in the world now know me as like co-host of Acquired than <laughs> anything else I do in life, which is so great. And yet, you know, Ben and I spend, you know, a, a small, small portion of our, our, you know, waking hours dedicated to Acquired.
1: To the Acquired Media Empire. Yeah.
0: <laughs> hey, museum coming yeah 20 2019 that's right <laughs> um but yeah so f- i mean for me uh 2017 was about as big a year as as you can get um so Almost exactly a year ago, at the end of 2016, uh, Jenny, my wife, uh, finished her PhD, which itself was an incredible com- accomplishment. And I am, was and am so proud of her. Uh, it took her six and a half years. Um, and Ooh. I, w- woo, indeed. And uh, I was um, also uh, thinking about and uh, um, embarking on a, a new journey that I am on now. And so those things coincided, and at the beginning of this year, I left Madrona, the VC firm where I was in Seattle, left working them there full time. And uh, Jenny and I actually spent the first couple months of the year uh, living in Europe. Uh, we moved to Paris for a couple months uh, to celebrate her finishing and, and starting a new journey um, for both of us
1: and david during and that, that period uh, your carve outs were like way way better than mine oh
0: man i had so much time for carve outs it was it was like magical
1: it, <laughs> my carve out is israel
0: because yeah, <laughs>
1: I just got back <laughs> and it was
0: so great. Yeah, definitely back to the real world now. Uh, but it was great because a uh, little little known fact by by actually most people in my life. But but now to be known by the acquired audience, I was a French literature major in college and uh jenny uh was natural
1: natural path to be
0: natural path to being a technology vc early stage technology vc but i lived in france in college and uh uh, for a summer and and jenny also studied abroad there and neither of us had been back um since her time in college so it had been 10 years uh really amazing to have this chance to go back to a special place for both of us. And then this summer, uh, we moved, we moved back to the States and moved to San Francisco, uh, which has been great. And, um, I loved Seattle, uh, still spend a lot of time there, but also love San Francisco and Jenny's from here. Um, and it's just such a, such a Amazing city that has so much history and is so much you know is the epicenter of tech, but is also just so much more than tech in Silicon Valley. Um, so it's been great, you know, exploring this new city, and then also I've been working on uh, working on my new thing uh, with my partner and uh, my business partner. Unfortunately, we can't talk just yet about what it is uh, coming soon in 2018, but uh, the founder journey has been uh, everything it's cracked up to be. It's been uh, wonderful, crazy, scary, awesome, (laughs) terrifying. You know, I think a bunch of people at the end of the year have been asking me, you know, how's it been? And both, I had no idea the direction it was going to go and like could never have foreseen all the daily twists and turns along the way. And yet at the same time, we're like moving along exactly in the direction and pace that we thought we were in the bigger picture. And, uh, it's just been, such a cool experience and uh really has uh, helped me build a lot of empathy for you know all the other founders out there that we cover on the show that I've worked with in BC and I'm sure you know as we know from our survey many of you out there as well so that's been uh, that's been my 2017 but the one of the best things for sure has been acquired and uh, especially now that we don't live in the same city I'm just so glad we keep doing this and that's um turned into much more than either of us I think ever would have expected so Thanks, Ben, for being my co-host along the way.
1: Dude, yeah, likewise. You know, it's it's caused us to make a nice, nice A V investment. I never thought I'd be a person with an office with four microphones and mic stands behind me, but here I am. <laughs> Dude, the, <laughs>
0: one of the things I enjoyed most about the Defiant ones was all of the shots of, you know, Dre and all the other artists in the studio. And uh you know, pop filters. Like we have, you know, Dre quality pop filters on our microphone. It's the cheap.
1: It's like seven bucks. It's the cheapest part of the whole setup, but it makes it look the most legit.
0: I know we are totally legit.
1: (laughs) Well, David, uh, it's funny how we have, um, you know, very different 2017s, but parallel in a lot of ways. And one of the ways, uh, that you were just mentioning is, you know, there's all these crazy ups and downs, um, in sort of the founder journey, but, you are exactly in the direction, doing exactly the things where if you were to have drawn the line, you know, when you first started, um, where you thought you'd be, I'll tell this story in medias res. So talking about a conversation I had, uh, yesterday with one of our investors and I went through an update deck of everything that's going on with the company and he goes, looks great. It's a, uh, it's uh, exactly where I would have pegged you guys. That's I uh, I haven't heard from you in a few months, but this is, um, this is great. Thanks for letting me know right on track. And in my head, I was thinking right on track, like all the, you know, (laughs) (laughs) every day has been an adventure. (laughs) I know, I know. So my year, I think I've talked about this a couple times on the show, but My normal job is I'm the co-founder of Pioneer Square Labs, which is a startup studio that's based in Seattle. Um, It's sort of a new model for entrepreneurship that sits somewhere in between um, being the actual operating founder of a company and being an investor. Uh, Our our model is that we start companies partnering with uh, a great entrepreneur at Sort of various stages, either we work with them from the moment that we come up with the idea together, or sort of in that first early week or month, um, or we we have an idea internally in the studio. It's about twenty people heavily biased toward engineers um, who we, we we prototype things, we talk to customers about it. we try and bring it to market. Um, and if that's going well, then we start finding people who are really domain deep, who are um, amazing founders and and work with us. Um, and constantly trying to find different ways to plug in with with great founders that are um, along various parts of their entrepreneurial journey, so branching out the model a little bit. One thing that I did this year that's that's very different is uh, uh, since July, I've been the interim CEO of uh, our most recent spin-out called Taunt. And Taunt is um, an esports company for for folks who uh, haven't been tracking. Esports is this insane phenomenon where people watch other people play video games competitively to the tune of 300 million people per year. It's uh, growing very quickly every year. It's huge in Asia and growing quickly in the West. And uh, what Taunt does is it's a way for People to have more fun being fans of esports and to compete with their friends while they're watching in sort of a live fantasy type experience. So you and your friends compete against each other, and it's a social competitive app. Boy, the number one thing switching from my my job as a um, you know basically serially starting these ideas and then um, working to transition off them to start the next one to sort of running with one, at least in this interim capacity, has been a remarkable. I way underestimated how much focus I would need to have. I've basically stopped doing not only everything at at PSL, but so many other things in my life because running a company just requires ridiculous, ridiculous focus. And every single day, it's a battle of... All the really important things that need to happen that won't happen today. Uh, Actually, the uh, TA McCann, who's a um, another awesome founder and investor in the Seattle area, uh, calls this "Itindi" important things I'm not doing yet, and he (laughs) keeps a a, 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 um, conscious list of things that are like extremely important, super high priority things, but like not. You know, it's either not as urgent, it's not a hair on fire problem um, as other things, or it's just not as high priority as some other high priority things. I would describe the rest of my life as I worked a lot, but I didn't, you know, like if I ever needed to leave work at three or something and not check in for the rest of the day, that was kind of fine. And it's being in the founder mindset really means It's really not the case. Like, there are things, there are sometimes things that just absolutely must, must be done today, this hour. Maybe the number one skill is uh, constantly being able to um, be on all the time, be ready for anything, and play schedule Tetris and understand that um, whatever you looked at and thought your day was going to be at the beginning of the day may actually not be the correct prioritization given new information and having to juggle that on the fly. And a lot of you out there are probably laughing and, and know this well, and have have been in this um, situation a lot. I've started other things before, but never a, a venture-backed thing where we were sort of quickly building a team, quickly in market. Um, and uh, yeah, the the biggest thing is is really um, being able to quickly adapt and reprioritize on the fly.
0: You have multiple, you know, handful of people that like depend on you. You know, I mean, that's one thing uh, uh, that's not our structure here. And, uh, so I'm lucky that I don't have that particular challenge of being a founder. Um, still have a little bit more kind of autonomy, but I got to imagine like, you know, in some ways, you know, as, as founder and CEO of something like you have the least amount of freedom.
1: Yeah. And, uh, at least in the pre product market fit stage where, you're actually not sure what the North star is. Like you have an idea, you have a value or a mission that's North star, but there's not a defined implementation yet. There's a lot of, there's a lot of thrashing. Um, and you know, it, it, you try and r- reduce CPU thrash, but ultimately you, you are switching back and forth to a lot of things. And there is high switching cost to that.
0: Yeah. Is there ever, is there ever, despite all the things that we have going on in our lives. Um, like I said, I'm just, so glad we keep
1: yeah 22 keep episodes you acquired. kidding me i'm yeah. proud of us
0: oh my god! like <laughs> yeah i mean i'm with you other than other than my time when when uh jenny and i were you know hanging out gallivanting around europe we, we were not exactly gallivanting but uh um you know when my carve outs were much better back then like i basically have done nothing else except work and acquired this year
1: there are, yeah, that's the other thing. Is I think my carve-outs probably suffered because there's weeks where I'm like, yeah. I'm supposed to have read something that was <laughs> not an email since the last time we recorded.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, I am in that boat too. Well, should we uh, review our 2017 predictions that we made last year? Sounds great. See how, how we did. How wrong were we? <laughs> uh, well... Let's see. Okay. So my first one, should we trade off uh, yeah. each of ours? Yeah. Okay. Quite. So my first one was um, that aggregation theory was going to become even more important. Ben Thompson's seminal aggregation theory uh, was going to become even more important in 2017 than 2016. I think I kind of nailed that one. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't a very controversial prediction. I think in 2017, it has become super clear that the big biggest tech companies, you know, the the Facebooks, uh, the Amazons, the Googles, the Apples um, have just consolidated so much power in the space, continue to consolidate even more power. And that is, you know, kind of, I think, a direct result of, you know, everything that's implied by aggregation theory. And, and Ben is actually, Thompson has actually shifted a lot of his writing, I think, to this, you know, what is the consequence of this? Um, yeah, I mean, it changed
1: it changed our economy, it changed our political structure, it changed, it changed, it literally changed like the way that people interact with other humans. Like if you look at a society as um, a collection of political, social and economic changes, like it is the driving force behind the biggest change of all three of those. I mean, if you want to talk about income inequality, if you want, there's a a variety of things. I mean, I think aggregation theory is, is the thing driving most of those.
0: Yeah and 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 super specifically I mean in the startup tech ecosystem you know we're kind of at a moment now where like for pretty much any kind of product uh and company that you have if you want to do user acquisition like you have two choices you have two destinations like Google or Facebook you know uh
1: It's it's striking and everything else is a growth hack
0: Yeah and everything else is like you're rolling the dice Yeah super interesting
1: I saw a great tweet earlier by Patio11, the um, frequent commenter on Hacker News, and I think he now works on, on Stripe Atlas. It was a great tweet storm, and we'll include this in the show notes, of um, great advice that you can't hear too many times and that you should just people should continue to talk about even though they feel it's old hat um, because there's always new people that can benefit from hearing it. And one of the observations was that the hardest thing to do in a B2B company is sales, and the hardest thing to do in a B2C company is distribution. And... If you're starting a consumer company, you basically have Facebook or Google to go to and you're effectively just paying a tax to get to their customers and they get bigger and they get better. And every single company that 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 bootstraps their business or her, not bootstraps, I mean Coca-Cola pays those companies huge amounts of money per year. Everybody does in order to reach their customers because they have all the customers. And that just fuels the flywheel even more. So it is... Um, You know, the hardest thing to do in consumer is distribution, and they have the lock on distribution. I just noticed one of my predictions from last year is the big aggregators get bigger. I think we have the same prediction.
0: (laughs) Basically the same thing. All right. Check on that one.
1: (laughs) Yeah. my uh, Another one that I had, I think the rest of mine are kind of hard to check in on. I said people get more serious about universal basic income. Um, I think the people who were already proponents of universal basic income got Further entrenched in that view based on our our political and economic structure now Um, I don't think that it picked up any traction in any way. I think the experiments continued I think um, a lot of great books were written on it. I don't think it's really picked up steam
0: uh, my next one, I said, uh, we would see more tech IPOs in, uh, 2017 than 2016. And we did, uh, but we didn't see that many more. So there were 26 in 2016 and 33 in 2017. That's, um, I'll
1: call it. That's, that's qual- I qualify that
0: that's more but nowhere near you know the the heyday of uh, of uh, the earlier 2000s there's so many companies that uh, have raised so much money in the private markets and need to exit one way or another um, and they still have not exited and uh, this is a trend that I think will continue into 2018. But some of the big ones, big IPOs we did see in 2017, some of which we cover here, Snap, uh, Blue Apron, Stitch Fix, Cloudera, uh, Okta, MuleSoft, Roku, MongoDB, and Seattle native Redfin. That's right. All went public in 2017.
1: Good companies in there, just not a ton of them. Yeah. Yeah. Another one that, that was one of mine last year was the Commoditization of Machine Learning and that the value is, value is in the data itself and not in the actual machine learning algorithms or infrastructure to do that. That's absolutely played out. Um, looking at reInvent this year, looking at a lot of Google Clouds uh, announcements, there really are more and more machine learning off the shelf tools. And it really is all about not only having the data, But having the data in a great format, your processing pipeline, um, and and correctly sort of labeling and cleaning um, data to be used by machine learning. I'll disclaim here that I'm not an expert on this, but we haven't really seen like new math in any way uh, that has radically changed. radically change what people are doing with machine learning it's much more about the availability of tools uh, more people having access to those tools and a big thing is just sort of the the compute being more and more available there's some newer models that that people are using but it's it's largely about uh, making it more um, available and less less expensive for companies to hire the large teams that was previously required to do data science
0: yep well so in contrast to a uh new exciting technology becoming easier to use and more widely available my prediction or i guess question more for 2017 is we will see if vr becomes a big thing or not and uh well unfortunately for the vr industry at least for the moment it's still not a big thing so we'll see i I wouldn't you know call vr and ar uh out uh per se i don't think this is the yet at least the 3D TV of technologies, but...
1: AR is more in. Like, AR did great. Or AR at least has a path to becoming mainstream. A path, but it's uh still not here. <laughs> no. Here's a, here's a like, speculative question is, how do you call that earlier? I mean, there were plenty of VR naysayers, but looking back on it, I mean, what are the signals that people just weren't going to buy the devices at the volume that that we were all hoping earlier. So you don't make those investments or you don't spend years of your time working on those companies. Um, some people are going to weather the storm and do great. And when it finally does become a thing, if it becomes a thing, but you know, how, how do you spot that?
0: Yeah. I don't know. I mean, the Kickstarter, you know, numbers for Oculus were really good all along the way. And then, you know, their, their, uh, dev kit shipments, um, but, uh, and, and the, uh, you know, the Vive is an incredible piece of hardware. I don't know. I mean, I guess the thing is it's just like still not easy to access for, you know, most people for your mainstream consumer. Like you still need to do a lot of work to get the payoff of the incredible experience
1: and right. spend a lot of money. It's not as easy as just like downloading the number one app in the app store or like Coinbase, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
0: that was something we did not predict. No, in 2017.
1: nowhere in here is to say anything about crypto. No. <laughs> well, we missed that, but we did. Um, in fact, I would say I may miss it again. <laughs> yeah, I don't have.
0: Uh, I don't have anything in my 2018 predictions about crypto. Uh, probably should. All right, my last one was. Uh, I said the trend, the mega trend of urbanization would continue. I think it probably did. I don't have a great way to measure, but uh, more people in the world, all around the world, moving to cities um, doesn't seem to be abating anytime soon.
1: Nope. Um, And mine was, does it become more expensive to produce physical stuff? David, I honestly can't remember my rationale behind this.
0: <laughs> well, I think you were saying that like, uh, as you know, like take China, for instance, um, you know, as the middle class rises, uh, is it going to become more expensive actually to produce stuff physically
1: in China? Right. like physical goods? Uh, right, right. Well, the cost of DRAM went up, component costs of smartphones went up, but I think that probably has to do with more like more business, like structural business dynamics than it does rising labor costs. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure that that actually happened.
0: If anything, I think more and more returns are going to capital as opposed to labor around the world. All right. Final section to round out our review of 2017, before we look forward bravely and boldly into 2018, our top acquired theme of 2017. So unlike last year when we did this, we reviewed themes that we talked about most that's on the sec- show That's actually was like way, way too long. Way too long and not that interesting. Um, so we're, we're taking a more qualitative approach this year Uh, and what we think, you know, looking back on our body of work for this year, like what stands out to each of us as like the, um, uh, the kind of most impactful or interesting theme, um, that we've discussed on the show. So for me, it's actually a pretty recent one that, um, I think I first brought up on the Stitch Fix episode, um, but then also talked about on the Beats episode and, and that's this, this concept, um, of. The way to really, you know, as an investor make outsized returns um, and as a company and as a founder to really have a large, large impact as opposed to a smaller impact is to do something, you know, make a, a have a thesis with a company or an investment that is Obviously, you want it to be correct, but being correct is not enough. You have to also be correct and non-consensus, not obvious. Uh, and this was something that uh, Andy Ratcliffe, one of the founders of Benchmark, and one of my professors in business school, talks a lot about. And he took this idea from from Howard Marks at, at Oaktree. But it's really, really powerful when you internalize it. And, and if you look at you know Stitch Fix, as I mentioned, and Beats, you know, but I think also Square, Starbucks, Snap. All of these are companies and products that, um, you know, they were both like the correct product for the time, but before they were started, like nobody thought like, you know, who's going to go to a store to drink coffee? Like people buy coffee beans to drink at home, you know, or, um, you know, who's going to pay a lot of money for headphones that aren't reference headphones, like, The $2 ones that you get with your, you know, iPod or, or, you know, an iPhone are good enough Or, you know, a snap, like Facebook dominates social media. Like, why do you need another, like, you know, method of sharing photos with one another? And I think it's a really powerful idea. Um, Again, both for, both for investing, obviously, but, um, but also as, as a founder and product design as well.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. It's a good theme. Mine. I don't think we explicitly called this out on a show, but we talked about it in many of these episodes in 2008, call it, we started, maybe 2007, we started first hearing uh, about social media. And it was a term that I don't think I had quite understood and dissected um, for a few years of, of really like, what is what does it actually mean? I get that we're calling Twitter social media. Like, I understand that. What does it imply? as you dig into it and and really understand like okay it means basically everyone is a citizen journalist and it won't just be for this in this short form capacity of course you have the rise of medium um you have youtube you have basically the 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 rise of the internet allowing anybody to become a creator where instead of a one to many world where you have publishers that push out to a, a very small number of publishers that push out to millions of people you have um you know everybody on earth able to push content to everybody else else on earth and build following in different ways, it really makes all media truly social, and all media—the the future of media—much more about do you have a compelling message rather than are you able to fit in with a body of content that has existed today, and in the ability to be non-conforming, which David actually fits in pretty well with your your tech theme, um, to be able to be differentiated by be non-conforming and still get distribution on that that was a new piece of value that was unlocked. And the biggest thing to come of all that is that the internet and social media really removed gatekeepers. It removed a lot of the power that was held by people um, that controlled the very few uh, that, that could actually publish, that you had to fit in with, that you had to be conforming. And you see this in, in so many different, there's so many different manifestations of which one, of, one uh, uh, amazing thing for the world is the fact that Time's Person of the Year was the silence breakers. I mean, for the first time, there were people, there were women primarily that were able to stand up and talk about their stories and know that they weren't going to be silenced for that by the people that controlled all the distribution because you don't have to be afraid in this world. And there are ways to get your message out, even if you don't go through those gatekeepers trying to silence you.
0: Yeah, totally. And like. You can tell your story on your terms, too. I mean, uh, yes. Ben Thompson's Person of the Year was Susan Fowler, the the Uber oh whistler, my God. whistleblower. On and her like, own he blog. Talks about it. Yeah, on her own blog. Like, you know, she didn't have to go to, you know, the New York Times to, to get them to break the story and have them tell it on their terms. And like, who knows what happens? Like, yeah, on her own blog. Like she
1: wrote it. She hit publish on her terms pretty incredible. And of course there's negative repercussions to this too. Of course you start to get into, you know, you only start reading things from, um, that are, that are lower quality because they don't have editorial process that are only confirmation bias thing. I mean, there's of course many problems with it, but the removal of gatekeepers by social media broadly is, is finally coming yeah. to fruition.
0: But I would, uh, what's super interesting though is like, I w- I would say like, yes, social media has definitely removed people, individual people and organizations of people who were gatekeepers. But like we were talking about with the just, uh, growth and consequences of ag- aggregation theory earlier, like there are now technologies that are gatekeepers. Uh, so if you want to market to people, you know, in any sense, like you need to pay the toll to Google and Facebook.
1: Yeah. There's, di- there's different, um, there's different taxes along the delivery now than there were before. Yeah. And they're, yeah. Um, they're more obvious and they're more monetary. Like it's, it's less about paying your dues and more about paying money. And, you know,
0: even outside of marketing, like in terms of getting your voice heard, um, yes, you can do it on via social media and on these platforms, but you also have to pay the toll. You have to pay the toll with your attention and your contribution of that content to that platform, which yeah. is going to monetize the attention that <laughs> it generates.
1: <laughs> yep. And, uh, and everybody is, uh, is either paying the toll to do distribution, uh, or, or paying the toll, I'm sorry, paying the toll to do acquisition or paying the toll, um, by giving their content to Facebook and Google with, with accelerated mobile pages, with, um, the subscription platforms are both launching with Facebook, uh, instant articles in, in all forms. Um, the, 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 some of the best content in the world is being contributed, uh, um, as, as part of the bargain, that people that yeah. the publishers are striking with the platforms.
0: Indeed, indeed. All right, 2018 predictions. Well, 2018, here we come. Uh, well, <laughs> maybe I'll start off because it's it's appropriate. I did I didn't plan it this way. My first prediction is that the consequences of aggregation theory continue. <laughs>
1: David, you, you, and, you uh, make the most <laughs> like cop out predictions. <laughs> I really I need to
0: like. <laughs> I need to go out on a limb more. Clearly, my my brain uh, too much in the second half of this year has just been tied up in, in my work. <laughs> I have not been able to been able to make uh, really you know interesting and compelling predictions here. All right, I'm just going to stop there. I've got more, but you 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 go next.
1: I'll force you to make a call. Here we sit on December twelfth, twenty seventeen. What is the price of Bitcoin on December twelfth, twenty eighteen?
0: Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to force you to make a prediction after
1: this. Um, (laughs) and it's, it's 17,000 ish today.
0: (sighs) Yeah. 17,000 ish ish today. Um, I mean, (laughs) I don't know. It depends on so many things, but, uh, I'm going to wildly pick a number out of thin air. Uh, I am going to say the price of Bitcoin on December 12th, 2018 will be, uh, $28,000. twenty eight thousand dollars
1: I like it I like it
0: and fifty two cents <laughs> measure. what's uh what's your prediction? Buy, buy
1: your futures right there you heard yeah. it first yeah. um uh two thousand um, dollars but I do think it's going oh, I think it's wow. going get up to thirty first dollars thirty thousand first up to thirty down to two yeah,
0: so you and I are an order of magnitude apart
1: yeah I'm curious what it's going to get to in the next two weeks alone. I mean, I think people are going to get Coinbase for Christmas.
0: <laughs> you think people are going to give each other Bitcoin for Christmas? That should be our carve out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. Mean,
1: I think people are going to get phones. They're going to download the number one app in the app store. It's going to be Coinbase. People are going to think they're being clever and, and people are going to think they're doing the thing that um, the dot com stock people did when it was like, I'm going to buy my grandson a tech stock for Christmas. Write it up like here have some cisco it's gonna be that wow wow stocking stuffer of christmas 2017
0: <laughs> uh we,
1: we yeah we gotta release this Bitcoin. before christmas so i'm not wrong before this airs yeah. yeah we're doing
0: we're doing intentionally doing this show a little earlier this year than last year so that we can get it out before christmas uh, so that uh carve outs can be used as stocking stuffers
1: yeah and for everyone doing a long drive you have uh, you have this to listen to
0: uh, all right okay so i'm uh, my question back to you prediction we referenced it earlier in the show where is amazon hq2
1: amazon hq2 will be in toronto oh wow you're going with the dark horse i am canada i am they said it's the north american hq2
0: yeah i think so you think they were you think they have canada in mind all along
1: i do I think Toronto because it gives them diversification in case tax stuff goes crazy in the US. I mean it's it's not it's not looking like it's going to hurt corporations right now. Um but uh am, you know Amazon's <laughs> been extremely conscious of of tax law and d- done insane things to their business model to um to make sure that they give customers the best deal possible since their very inception. Um so I think they're very conscious of that. I think they want to diversify politically uh, as well as um Uh, have an economic center around tax to do that. And I also think, um, you know, as I used to work at Microsoft, we hired a ton of Waterloo grads, really great computer science school. I think they're going to do plop right down the same way they did next to the university of Washington.
0: Wow. Well, uh, my prediction is somewhere in Texas, probably Dallas slight edge over Austin, but Austin also, uh, Big front runner. That's not a bad call. Um,
1: if you're not going to go to Canada, go to a red state.
0: <laughs> well, Texas is a very, very diverse state. I uh, yeah, spent it's a lot true. of time in Texas uh, for a lot of reasons, including um, uh, Jenny's mom's family is all from Texas uh, outside the Houston area and still lives there. There is a, a very good chance potentially in the next presidential election. Um, but if not by then, the next one for sure that Texas will be a blue state. I believe it. Did you know uh, the di- demographics are changing incredibly rapidly?
1: Did you know Dallas Fort Worth is the number four metropolitan area in the United States? Yeah, it's enormous. You got New York, L.A., Chicago, and then Dallas Fort Worth, Arlington. Yep. And it's not far behind Chicago. It's nine and a half million and seven point two million.
0: Yeah, interesting. Bigger than the Bay. Well, the Bay Area is split into um, the San Francisco area and the San Jose area. I bet if you combine the two of those. Uh, it's uh, it's up there.
1: How's Dallas's tech community, L- listeners? If you're in Dallas or, or have um, um, have connections with Dallas, would love to kind of explore that a little bit further. Um, so reach out on Slack or you know, it seems like. Um, one big theme that a lot of, that I hear over and over and over again is people start companies for other people in Silicon Valley. Why don't we start companies for people in the rest of the United States? And then there's lots of arguments about, well, you know, people are harder to reach and I don't understand their pain points and blah, blah, blah. Like there's a ton of people in Dallas. Seems like that's a rich market to, if if you believe that people in Dallas behave differently and used and use different services, um, than people in the, in the Bay area would like, That feels like a huge group of people that you can go start companies for. Yeah. (laughs) To
0: our earlier discussion, like how are you going to reach people in Dallas? The same way you're going to reach people in the Bay Area. (laughs) Facebook and Google. (laughs) Um, All right, my money's on Texas, but uh, we've got Canada, we've got Texas. (laughs) All right. Um,
1: All right, what's your next one? Um, My next one is that uh, this current mega consolidation era that we're in will continue and, and and accelerate in 2018. We're in the midst right now of a Disney Time Warner M and A transaction that includes sort of part of the company um, where we we covered the Qualcomm Broadcom uh, uh, Disney Fox or Disney Fox. Yep. Um, yep, we covered the 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 Qualcomm Broadcom um, and um, um, what was the third major one that just oh the. Um, um, non-tech, but uh, uh, CVS and uh, Aetna. and I think we're just going to see huge MA continue through 2018. I think the political climate is uh, is right for these companies to combine. You know, you, you enter these um, you enter these eras of lots of new companies cr- being created and companies not uh, not combining for a while. So you have sort of proliferation in an industry and then followed by big eras of consolidation. And I think we are charging into a consolidation era.
0: Interesting. You think across multiple industries or particularly in the tech industry?
1: Let's see. The regulatory argument would argue across multiple industries. And the tech argument that I would make is that... Let's see, you would see consolidation after a period of sustained uh, innovation, new company creation, which would come from a lot of availability of early stage capital. So I guess if the cost of capital got more expensive and private company funding uh, was less abundant, then you would start to see more consolidation, I, I think. I don't know if that logic totally holds, but... All right, my
0: uh, last one is um, I seriously believe you know, we have been in the midst of major disruption uh, that has been happening in the in the venture capital ecosystem over the last few years. Um, but it's been disruption that's been happening at the capital formation and raising parts of the ecosystem as so much money has come into the asset class, um, both in terms of existing, you know, well-known VC firms raising much larger funds and getting bigger as as money has come in, and and new entrants like SoftBank, like bringing hundred billion dollars in a new fund um, into into the asset class. Uh, all of that is is likely to continue, but I think we're going to start to see we we are starting to see um, a second order effect of that in the vc ecosystem which is i think there is there is a serious uh retilling of the soil i would say of um what true early stage investing is um and uh, and company building and, and who does it and who's great at it um because i what's happened is you know the the series a quote unquote firms that used to be the early stage firms um that invested when companies were getting started and right at those those beginning days, uh, they don't do that anymore be, because they're so much bigger now because they have so much more capital. so they they wait until later. And so I, I don't know, maybe we'll see some turnover in in who the quote unquote best firms, top tier firms are um, at the traditional, you know sand hill road uh set but there's this whole really thriving ecosystem underneath it you know like you're part of it ben at psl and um and and so many other firms are uh, and and it's all um all kind of emerging, you know, underneath it's like it's like Clay Christensen yeah. in action here.
1: And say what you will about uh, ICOs, but I mean, there's there's no denying that 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 is a super transformative way to finance early stage companies. If uh, you know, if that were to continue. Yep,
0: indeed, indeed.
1: Hmm. All right. Well, I have another one, and then I have one one question to close with. So, one prediction I have is that uh, we're going to start seeing smaller more intimate communication networks rise instead of broad social networks as people start to react to um you know the uh, lack of comfort with things being public and a shift toward a a desire for um, for more private communication um, and private broadcast of themselves. And this is a prediction that that has, you know, people have been making this bet for a long time. PATH tried to make it in, what, 2010, 2011.
0: Yeah, um, or, earlier than that even, I think.
1: Yeah, maybe, uh, two, maybe not, know. Maybe not
0: that much earlier. Sometime around that,
1: Yeah. And, you know, I'm just not sure the timing was right for that. I think Facebook had so much more, there was still so much more growth available for the user experience in terms of there are, so many more people rapidly coming onto this thing, and it's becoming the de facto way that I communicate with anyone in the world. So it makes it sort of hard to disrupt. Um, I do think now that, and it's actually a perfect time for Facebook to be experimenting with uh, monetizing WhatsApp. That private communication networks um, are are going to start occupying more of people's time than public communication networks did. I've noticed, and this could be entering a different phase of life, but. I do way less activity that could be broadcast to my social network on Facebook, and I spend way more time in a variety of private Slacks. Um, I even spend less time on Twitter and more time in in Slack and in Messenger groups, and I really do think that that, um, people are... Just finally having the reaction to I don't want to have all my stuff be public all the time and and uh, and sort of culling that. And of course, you're not actually going to cull it on those platforms where you already have all the connection. You're not going to shrink those social graphs. You're just going to move to new ones. And of course, that's why Facebook acquires the new ones because they you know mm. um, they need to stay king of that. Yeah,
0: but, it's interesting. I Man, Path. I was just looking at Blast from the past. I, I used to actually really enjoy path, uh, which for listeners who don't know, this was the sort of private um, mobile app, social network. I guess you could call it that uh, from sometime around 20, you know, nine, ten, eleven,
1: 10, 11 that had a lot of buzz um, and really was like beautifully designed. Really? Oh my God. They invented that, that button, the path button that was like a radial menu. <laughs>
0: yes yes you're right that you clicked it and then it expanded out into like all the different types of media you could post yep
1: and they had parallax scroll down so you would pull down and yeah. different parts of the page would move at different ratios
0: yeah oh that's right um
1: way ahead of the anyway, time that
0: might be a fun episode to do at some point because they,
1: they got bought by a chinese conglomerate of some sort
0: yeah i just i just looked it up daoam cacao uh i'm not sure where they are based but uh interesting.
1: Yeah. I also saw an interesting tweet that's going to reveal one of my carve-outs early, um, but it was a, a Josh Elman tweet. Um, Josh is a partner at, uh, at Greylock talking about we've had this extreme shift toward individualism and how everything is so tailored for us now with... Um, basically, everybody has their own personalized news, news feed. Everybody has the, um, you, you log into any technology product now and it's so tailored for you that it's starting to put us in silos a little bit and it's starting to make us feel extremely isolated. And we may see products, uh, he, he suggested that um, this, this is why things like HQ Trivia, where everybody is uh, is all in one room, all together, all at the same time, you know, 400,000 people strong. Um, we're going to start to see the rise of products that make us feel part of a collective again, and part of something greater than our individually tailored selves. And I think there is really something to that. You know, if you let yourself, you can just become more and more isolated. And and, um, I've noticed it in my lifestyle to create, you know, craft a life that's like more and more specifically designed for me, which is awesome in many ways, but is kind of isolating.
0: Yeah, I I know a lot of a lot of um, folks in tech are thinking about that broadly. And Some founders are working on ideas in that space. Um, You know, we're broadly on that theme. It is definitely a counter trend uh, that maybe will come to fruition in 2018.
1: Yeah. And then I have one more sort of question. Um, So I'll I'll posit something first. Talking about being mobile first or moving to mobile today, I think is a lot about, is, is very similar to talking about, you know, being a PC or doing something with software, um, <laughs> yeah. from, you know, many years ago. And it just seems like an irrelevant question, right? It's like, well, yeah, I assumed. And I'm wondering, you know, are, are we uh, nearing the end of mobile? And I don't mean that in something is going to replace mobile. Like, I don't think it's going to be the AirPods and the watch and you're not going to have your phone, but it's almost like, are we going to enter somewhere where, um, between like voice assistants in your house and your phone and like it's all part of a constellation of devices where you have sort of machine learning built experiences for you. There's some AR component. Like uh, are we moving away from the mobile era and into this sort of like ecosystem of highly tailored devices era? And will that kind of actually happen in 2018?
0: Okay, I'm gonna go out on a limb here. I think we're moving into the era of the end of eras. Like, whoa, there's there's no, you know, it's just the internet now and like. It, like, there's no difference between mobile and web or desktop or, you know, uh, voice assistant or AR. It's just like the Internet. It's like
1: you can it's access like you will access it through of things. multiple
0: <gasps> modalities.
1: <Yeah. laughs> uh, uh, it's just a highfalutin explanation for something that all those, you know, investment research memos have said for four years. Yeah. Uh, but no, where I'm going with this is like you access the services that you
0: want to interact with through, you know, in multiple modalities, like you inter- access them, you know, through a keyboard and mouse and through a touchscreen and through your voice and, uh, you know, through your wrist or through your glasses, like it- it's all the same and they're all everywhere.
1: Yeah. Omnipresent technology. You want to do carve outs?
0: Let's do it. Okay. So just like last year, we are keeping our mega extended carve out section so we're gonna do each pick uh one carve out uh from all of the categories of carve outs that we typically cover so we have books and i'm gonna do separate fiction and nonfiction, uh article uh podcast music uh tv or movie or both uh, and app are categories we're thinking this is also why we wanted to get this episode out Ahead of the holidays for, you know, all of the upcoming travel that lots of people have uh, for airplanes, car rides, uh, or maybe stocking stuffers for some of these. Uh, we wanted to get these out to you before the season. I will start off with my my first carve out, uh, fiction Book it's actually a trilogy. Uh, is Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials trilogy, which the first of, book of which is The Golden Compass, uh, which is a fantasy sort of you know young adult fiction, but also like you know can very much be read and enjoyed by adults. Kind of like Harry Potter, like very similar to Harry Potter trilogy. And uh, I had not read it growing up. Uh, Jenny had, and he just wrote came out with the first book of the second trilogy many many years later uh and so he's writing a new trilogy the first book of that just came out um i haven't read it yet because i just finished the original but really good super fun it's like it's like harry potter meets like sci-fi meets steampunk with a female protagonist uh and just like really really well done and it's all a uh it's all a complete inversion and retelling of paradise lost uh really really fun
1: uh, I only have one book this year that I uh, I'm gonna say makes the cut. Um, Shoe Dog. It was so good. Oh, um, so good. Talked about it a bunch on on when uh, whatever episode it was where it was my carve out. I, and David, it was your carve out, and I had forgotten that. <laughs> um, but the, the the story of uh, of Phil Knight and uh, and the creation of Nike, um, just like page turner thriller, but nonfiction, and so freaking well written.
0: Yeah, that would be. If you have somebody on your holiday list uh, that um, you know enjoys business or shoes or just good, you know, good storytelling, autobiographies, sports, like, yeah, yeah, sports, uh, put this, you know, under the tree or menorah or you know whatever your object of celebration is this holiday season. <laughs> um my uh my nonfiction is actually I'm repeating my carve out from I think the last episode uh just because I finally I, I finished reading it since then. it was so good uh is wooden wooden on leadership speaking in the sports and shoes. Arena, John Wooden, legendary coach of UCLA, uh and Wooden on leadership is his book expounding on his philosophies uh, of leadership and and in particular his pyramid of success. And and what I didn't talk about on Carve Outs last time is uh I just think this is so cool. His his definition of success. Uh I really want to try and keep this in mind in in my own life and in my own you know new endeavors now. And and John says, you know, people think about success as like achieving something or like setting goals and hitting them or uh, having anything, you know, externally visible. But he said that's not what success is at all. To him, success is, as I'm quoting here, success is peace of mind, which is a direct result of self-satisfaction in knowing you made the effort to become the best of which you are capable so nothing about like results, nothing about external perception. The only measurement that you can truly, you know, both measure and and feel fulfilled by of success is whether you made the effort to become the best that you can be at whatever you're trying to do. And it's so great because it's like you can always ask yourself, like, did I actually like put my total effort into this? If yes, it doesn't matter what the outcome is. Uh, if no, like then no i wasn't successful you know and and that's how he coached his teams and i mean he's i i think still the winningest coach in college basketball history i mean he would go multiple seasons without losing a game and won 10 national championships i think uh but he never cared about the the outcome of the game it was always just about like getting his players and his teams to um do the best that they were capable
1: it's a, it's a great mantra
0: so great mantra especially in this day and age where there is so much that feels out of our control, um, in, uh, in life and in tech. <laughs> All you can control is whether you make yourself the best you can be.
1: Um, my article, so our, the second category is the best article we read this year, or at least the, um, the one that we feel is noteworthy of a carve out. Uh, it actually happened in December of, of, 2016. Um, but I think it was after we recorded the holiday episode. It is the New York times magazine cover story called the great AI awakening. And this was the first piece that I read that really brought uh, a not only an understanding but a compelling narrative to. Why AI and machine learning is so transformative to the era that we live in, and the um, it tells the story of the recreation of Google Translate using, I believe, a neural network instead of um, sort of like structured, top-down, rule-based architecture, and uh, and pitting them against each other, and it's um, you know it's good narrative, it's told really well, and uh, there have been many probably better pieces written since then, and I'm sure. It was a little dumbed down or sensationalist relative to more, um, industry papers or industry articles that written been been written before, but really landmark to see that on the, the, the cover of the New York times magazine and really well done. Yeah, man, it's
0: time moves so fast these days. Like that, I I totally remember that article. And I, in my head that came out like five years ago and it came out one year ago. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. My article, uh, is, is much shorter. Um, but, uh, is a Fred Wilson, uh, blog post, uh, from earlier this year, uh, called founder friendly. And it was a, about the Uber situation, uh, and the benchmark lawsuit, uh, against, uh, Travis Kalanick and that whole, um, Saga. Uh and he was Fred was uh who's a great VC at Union Square Ventures, a founder, uh, one a co-founder of Union Square Ventures. He was responding to a, a tweet that Dan Primack put out uh saying that um Primac tweeted, uh let me find the exact quote here. Um, RIP quote unquote founder friendly, 2010 to 2017. And the point being that like you know, a VC and a great VC, like benchmark suing the CEO of a portfolio company is like the end of this era of like VCs, just sucking up to founders and being founder friendly and founders should watch out for VCs. And Fred had this response. It was like, you know, sometimes like what's most friendly to founders is, is be doing what's best for the company or his point. His point was that. As a VC and a board member, you need to do what's best for the company, and that isn't always like sucking up to founders. Like uh, sometimes, and often in the long run, what's best for the company is also best for the founders. Um, And uh, I I don't mean necessarily here to opine one way or the other on the Uber situation, particularly, but I think it was this was the beginning of a sea change in I think the relationship between VCs and founders and boards and founders. Um, I think for the better, uh, not in just like bringing power away from founders and back to VCs, but just more of a balance of like going from an era where founders can do no wrong to like do what's best for the company and for all of the stakeholders involved.
1: My podcast is an episode of the Ezra Klein show with Yuval Noah Harari, the author of Sapiens. And I can't actually remember if this was one of my carve outs or not. Um, I think Sapiens was, and I, I think maybe the podcast was, but awesome interview if you haven't read sapiens that's also a great book um it's like a primer on many many things that are core to the human condition archaeological stuff psychological stuff evolutionary evolutionary biology a lot of sociology of why we treat people the way we do today in different groups and how that falls out of, of different evolutionary things. Um, and you is just a great thinker and he talks a lot about, he actually does a 60 day meditation retreat, silent meditation retreat to start off every year, which sounds every year. freaking nuts. But I, uh, nuts. I, I hope, I, I don't know. I, I think I, I, I'm going to make it a 2018 resolution to do a, uh, a, a three day. I'd love to do like a meditation oh, retreat. Love just to do, to do that too. But honestly, yeah. you know, I've been like just doing um, headspace and playing around with some, some meditation apps and like trying to get into it, like dabble a little bit. This notion of like
0: 60 days.
1: Oh my God. Yeah. But the notion of, of meditating alone, like uh, a- actually focusing on your breath and not letting your mind wander. I, it's impossible. It's very difficult to do that for like five or 10 seconds. I, I, I totally see how this is a incredibly trained art. Um, and just very interested to see, like I, 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 it's almost like a CrossFit thing. Like the people that meditate, like you're very aware that they meditate, but I, I, I think it's something where like, if you can really refine the practice and get good at it, I can see how that can change you as a person.
0: Yeah, totally. I, um, I did a bunch of exploration with meditation in, uh, in grad school, uh, and, uh, did, I, I haven't done any full day retreats, but I did a, a half day retreat actually as, as part of a class, uh, at Stanford in grad school. And, um, it was, uh, it was really cool. It was very, very difficult, even just a half a day of sitting there. But, uh, that's cool. I remember listening to that show too and thinking 60 days. Oh my goodness.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay. My, uh,
0: podcast, carve out for the year is uh also i think i did have this also as one of my carve outs at some point during the year is the episode of the bill simmons show with jimmy Ivey, and uh we've been talking about him a lot lately but literally the coolest human alive go listen to it i'm queuing that up now literally just grab my phone (laughs) I'll jump forward. Um, My music also (laughs) related to this whole Jimmy Iovine ecosystem, although everything in music is related to him. Uh, I discovered um, Bruce Springsteen uh, and the E Street Band have multiple live albums. Uh, I had growing up their Live in New York City album uh, from their reunion tour, which was fantastic. But there is, I think, probably their best Live album is live at the Hammersmith Odeon in London uh, in 1975 this is early early days right after Born to Run comes out and uh, this is just an amazing show Bruce writes about it in Born to Run in the the autobiography Um, uh, whatever your streaming service of choice is go listen to this now it's just the boss at his best with the band
1: sweet My music, uh, I'm I'm sure this was a carve-out of mine, Uh, Odessa's new album, A Moment Apart. I know that I listen to this over and over again. I know that it's uh, new it anecdotally, and the the Spotify, your top tracks of 2017, reinforced it. It's my work music. It's my morning music. It's my workout music. It's so good. And uh, it's weird. Somebody asked me the other day, three bands you would take to your grave, and like, I have longer bands that have like staying power, the other two, the Beatles and Radiohead. And I'm like, it's weird, but they're newer, they're trendy, but Odessa makes the cut. And, re- and wow. we can revisit that in uh, like five years, but that's how I feel right now.
0: Radiohead. Yeah, man. Um, I mean, Radiohead's great, but like, you put them in the same category as the Beatles
1: and Odessa. Well, for Take to My Grave, I think, I mean, they're more, more than Odessa. Like, I think uh, Odessa is three. And <laughs> I'm not in my Radiohead. I'm more in an Odessa phase right now than a Radiohead phase. But, like, yeah. you know, De- Radiohead got me through college.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. It's, it's a bit, I mean, that's the thing about music. And back to the Beats episode that Jimmy and Dre just totally identified. Like, music is about, it's like you identify with a certain point in your life, with certain activities. Like, it's just such it's an emotional thing. It is, um, I totally hear you. There's some like mid 2000s, you know, hip hop dance tracks that like <laughs> were in, you know, just take me right back to that specific moment of time in college. Uh anyway, yeah. Um okay. Uh, my movie uh tv and movie for me uh for 2017 <laughs> i was gonna do the defiant ones but we can't that's we can't do too much, too much today. It's, we, rec- we, it's a recency
1: we, bias already
0: we, recency bias yeah um i didn't watch that many movies in 2017 but uh i just on uh, an airplane trip last week finally watched creed uh the um latest rocky movie uh and and i think probably i think the last uh hard to imagine them following up on that. Uh, watch, I'll say that and they probably made Creed too,
1: but, <laughs> uh, <laughs> really, really, really good. Uh, and, uh, very worth watching. Cool. Uh, mine is Blade Runner 2049. Uh, it's a movie the year that I thought saw in theaters and, uh, embarrassed to say I'd never watched Blade Runner, the original, uh, all the way through. So I watched, uh, I think I, the edition I watched was the, f- the final cut or the there's a few different remastered versions, but watched that the night before and then went and saw twenty forty nine in theaters the next day and um you know it's what it's it's both visually incredible and one of those thinker movies that you're thinking about for for days after and especially in our um um a i apocalypse that we are in definitely interesting to think about, yeah,
0: i'm gonna add one additional movie carve out uh hasn't come out yet, but obviously the last jedi is <laughs> it hasn't even come out yet, but it's definitely safe, movie safe to of say. the year. Look, if they already greenlit
1: a new trilogy, then for for Ryan Johnson, then I'm pretty sure we're gonna love it. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure it's gonna be awesome. Yep.
0: All right. App. App. Um, so my <laughs> app of the year. I'm joking. Says the guy who uh, I told you I would talk about YouTube later in the episode. We gave it a C on Acquired. I'm not sure it deserves more than a C, but my app of the year is YouTube. I have been spending a lot more time in YouTube this year, uh, and I feel like uh, on the episode we did on the company, I was very uh, critical of like YouTube's not a destination site. Like, who goes to YouTube? You just you know follow links there. You do you know embeds. That's the only YouTube content you watch. I've been re-engaging with like the main app and the feed, and like there's great stuff that they surface for you in there. Um, and very personalized based on your, you know, watching history. Um, I find myself often, you know, when I'm bored at home, just open up YouTube and see what it recommends for me.
1: Wow. That's like a behavior I know people do that. It just hasn't materialized for me. Like I, I actually extremely rarely watch something on YouTube and I, I know that, I know that sounds weird, but like you know, I never want, it's actually just not a good modality for me. I'm never, I never want to play sound on my phone. It's too much of a commitment really for me to browse through. And that's why Twitter's better or Facebook's better. Um, maybe 2018 will be the year that I start browsing the YouTube yeah. news feed.
0: So I was totally in the same mode as you, didn't understand it at all. And then I don't know why, for some reason, uh, I just picked it up one day and I was like, huh. oh, wow, this is really entertaining. And the feed is like very personalized to me.
1: Yeah, that's right. Listeners, you are listening to the insightful show acquired where we realize that (laughs) YouTube is cool.
0: (laughs) Uh, If, if we uh, didn't already, you know, know that we were too old and not cool anymore. Like now it's official, or at least for me. That's right.
1: That's right. Well here I, so I have, I've already given away my app app of the year, which is HQ, um, which I talked about on the last episode. But my biggest observation around this, when David, you sent me the framework to go through and figure out my, my app of the year, went through my home screen. So I've got the iPhone 10. So I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven by four. There's 28 apps on my home screen, including the dock. Zero of them came out in 2017. And that's, I think, an interesting point about the end of the mobile era like there is very, very, very rarely a new app that becomes a part of my daily or even weekly life. The closest would maybe be I started using Enlight and Photofox and some other photo specialized photo editing apps that now that you can do a lot more powerful sort of pro-style tools on the iPhone. Um, but I actually don't think those are 2017 either. I, I just don't actually think there's new apps that are habit forming, um, in my daily life. And maybe I'm just like, not, not one of the cool kids anymore. And, you know, th- there's plenty of those and I'm not involved. Uh, like musically was 2016. I mean, there's been a, there's been a rise of, of new consumer apps. I guess I have TBH on my phone, but it's not at the beginning. Um, HQ was not, not you know, on my home screen either. Um, but I think it's telling. Well, it's nowhere—it's nowhere near the velocity that it used to be. No, I mean, pull out your phone. Do you have anything on your home screen that came out this no, year?
0: No, I, I did the same. I did the same exercise, and uh, that's how I ended up with YouTube. I was like, okay, there's nothing new on my phone this year. What have I interacted with differently or more than last year? And that's how I got YouTube.
1: Yep. All right. So you heard her here first. A couple old men doing a podcast. So welcome to 2018. Yeah, David actually David actually bought an older phone. Uh, <laughs> I <did. laughs> Pretty soon I'm going to be telling
0: the kids to get off my lawn. Uh, all right.
1: I think, I think, I think that's up? all we've got. Have a, have a safe drive, a safe travel to wherever you're going. Enjoy the time off work. Thank you, as always, to Perkins Cooey for sponsoring us. And if you've ever thought hey, you know, they say that thing about reviews and that's nice and that's for other people to do. We actually mean that for you too. So we would love, love, love as soon as we sign off here. Or right now, I don't have anything else important to say um, if you'd leave us a, a review on iTunes. That's all we've got. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. We'll see you in 2018. We'll see you in season two. See you in season 10.
0: <laughs> or two.